Hey friends, you're listening to the Remote Work Bestie Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Flores. You might have seen me on CNBC, Time, BuzzFeed, or my blog, I Like to Dabble, talking about money, side hustles, and remote careers, because I'm pretty obsessed with demystifying and busting open all of the above. So what even is this podcast? Remote Work Bestie is here to challenge the traditional 9 to 5, 40-hour work week and help you navigate a more flexible way of working and living. Join me every week as I chat with experts and other Remote Work Besties to help you navigate the world of work and money in a non-boring, exposing, weird, and fun way. Today, I'm chatting with Emma Geyser, founder of NurseFern.com, a platform that helps bedside nurses find remote jobs. Emma herself pivoted from bedside nursing to remote nursing, and she's going to give us all the juicy deets in today's episode. Welcome, Emma. I'm so excited to have you on today. Hey, thank you. So let's start by telling us a little bit about you, your background, and how you came to create NurseFern, which I love this platform because my mom was a nurse and she administrated a surgery center. And now in her retirement, she's like, hey, like help me get some remote nursing job, you know, like a little part-time thing. And I gave her your page and your website. And she's like, this is so cool. Oh man, I love that. Little stories and connections really make me smile. I kind of fell, I feel like I fell into this, but then at the same time, it's been a long time coming. Um, I started as a nurse back in 2010. I've been in the ICU, the ER, and then I pivoted to clinical documentation improvement, which is what I went remote in. And we were chatting about this for a few minutes before, but I initially fell into the FinCon community and was doing personal finance freelance writing. I was sharing more and more on TikTok about my actual work life, not just the personal finance side. And people were really interested in remote nursing. And I just pivoted from there. And in 2020, Nurse Fern became a remote nursing hub. Yeah, it is definitely a hub. I love it. And I love the design of it too. I'm just a design freak. So when I go to your website, I'm like, it just makes me feel good. Thank you. So like you said, like remote nursing is kind of blown up. I recently read a study on CNBC that shows that like 25% of jobs just this year that are going to like spike are healthcare, well, and social social assistance. And a lot of this is because of the advances of med tech and telehealth services, which is like, wow. So this is an opportunity now for so many people in healthcare that are probably super burned out. I know it's one of the top professions with the most burnout to give them this opportunity to like kind of pivot their life. So I can see why you wanted to pivot out of nursing and other people. And my mom was super burned out and that's why she did a little bit of an early retirement. Can you tell us a little bit about that time in your life where you're like, I need to kind of get out of here? This has always been an interesting thing to talk about, especially since the pandemic with how my story is different than a lot of nurses. I always knew growing up that I was going to do something entrepreneurial. I just never knew what it was. And then when I got into nursing, I just kind of always had this feeling that I was going to have an alternative position, whether it was an alternative patient care or if it was a non-bedside role like CDI, which is what I got into. And I got out of bedside nursing in 2015, I believe. No, 2017, I think. <laughs> and I just knew it was time. There were a lot of things going on. I had safety issues at work. I was on a really crappy rotating schedule. So like in the same week, I'd be working night shifts and day shifts and I was a zombie. I just needed something else. So I remember looking online at like 2 a.m. and seeing my organization post this job. And I had no idea what it was, but I'm like, I'm going to apply to it because that's just how I am. I'm like, let's see. Like, I can always go this direction if they call me. And if I hate it, I'll go back. So that's more how I got into it. And then when the pandemic hit and Nurse Fern really took off, I was seeing the other side of burnout and not just nurses 
feeling like there was something else that they wanted to do in their careers, but truly getting forced out of nursing because of what was happening in the hospitals. And that was something that I was not prepared for that level of interest in remote nursing because of that. Oh yeah. That the interest level probably just spiked like crazy during the pandemic. I'm sure so much. And it hasn't gotten any better. Like things have oh, not yeah. like, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Like I get a ton of messages and comments, you know, asking about healthcare. And then I ask like, what do you do in healthcare? And a lot of them are nurses. And I always send them to your page because it's like, well, she is the expert on that one. And, you know, I just, everything I know about remote nursing, I've gotten from mostly from your page. Ooh. And like, there's another one, I think it's like remote medical jobs or something. Yeah. It's another, yeah. I mean, that was a pretty cool website too. So can you explain what CDI is actually? Cause you said CDI and I'm not a nurse, so I don't know what that means. Yeah. So CDI is clinical documentation integrity. And it's actually, it's a really cool um, job that's either on-site or remote hybrid. Basically we are going into medical records and looking to make sure that they are as complete as possible and that things are being discussed that are happening so that it's in progress notes and that it can be captured for not just billing, but also for quality and for patient care. Yeah. So that's probably one of them that are pretty good, like remote role where it's the qualifications are pretty similar to like, you know, what were you were doing before bedside. So is, are there any specific qualifications for other remote nursing roles that are different from bedside roles? So I guess like if somebody was working in the ER, how would they pivot? So many remote nursing jobs and the ones we focus on on the Nurse Fern website are what I call entry level. So if you have about two to five years of clinical nursing experience, depending on whether that's outpatient, in the hospital or whatnot, you can pivot into these roles and you don't need to necessarily have experience in the areas like utilization review, telephonic triage, things like that. But you have to be able to show that the skills you have and the things you've done at work translate into those positions. And that's definitely one of the things I harp on on Nurse Fern is your resume and making sure that you're not talking about your responsibilities so much, but really your accomplishments and the things that you've done outside of patient care at work, like the coordination of resources, other accomplishments, like committees you've done, anything you've done for quality improvement at work, all those little things that a lot of nurses don't think really matter on their resume. But then when we get to talking about it, they're like, oh yeah, I did something really cool. And I didn't even think to talk about that. Right. Cause I'm sure like they're so busy at their job too. It's like, well, like, you know, most people at their jobs, you do so many different things and you forget like, you know, the things that don't like, I guess, take, you know, the spot of front of your mind of the things that you've done at work, you know? And I'm sure you hear this all the time and I'm guilty of this too, but everybody I talk to is like, man, I wish I would have kept a list of things that I did. (laughs) And I'm like, it's cool. That's why we have these conversations and these questions lined up because none of us actually do that, even though we know we're supposed to. (laughs) Right. We're supposed to. And I, I only started doing that really at my last job where I had like a brag sheet. I still suck at it. (laughs) Oh, I still suck at it too. Like I'm still trying to write down stuff that I've accomplished outside of like the corporate world that I was in before. And all the time, even when I was doing it before, it was hard to keep up with it because, you know, I don't want to do that all the time. Like just keep track of everything. And it's like, yeah, it becomes a chore right now. Like with some coaching students, I am trying to get them to go through their own brag sheet and talk about all the skills they've used, all the tools they've used, what they actually like doing. And then their brag sheet part, it gets, it gets difficult because then you also are doing all these things that you've done, but then you're also trying to match it with 
how those things came to be like accomplishments. Like how, what was that business value yeah. that came from that? Because that gets difficult. If you have the opposite problem that you have too many, then narrowing it down and focusing it towards what you want, then like, I think that's a good problem, but it's still a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's still a problem. That's for sure. For remote nursing roles, is the pay structure any different than, well, you know, bedside nursing? It definitely can be. So one of the big things is that acute care hospitals and local clinics and med offices tend to stick with um, pay for their locality. So my biggest tip for nurses like myself was in a similar boat. If you're in a high cost of living area, looking at local employers, or at least those within your state, because they are used to paying the rates that you need, especially if you live there. If you are looking at other companies that are national, they often have a pay range that looks quite wide because they are matching geographically what the pay is for you. And it is a very wide range because nurses, I can't, I don't have the specific numbers, but the range is anywhere from like $25 an hour up to over a hundred. Um, so you'll see these massive ranges. Yeah. The ranges are probably pretty different, I would think. And now with a lot of pay transparency laws too that have come out in certain states, they have, you know, the pay is required to be on the job listing or upon request, but it's always these large ranges because they're only required to put in like a good faith range. Yeah. So it's like the absolute lowest versus <laughs> the absolute highest. And they forget to like separate out the levels in those mm -hmm. is what I've seen. I actually noticed there was a job that put like a national range and then a national plus range. I can't remember oh. what company it was, but when you read the fine print, the national plus was for the high cost of living areas. And I was like, dang, oh. you guys are actually like really trying. I'm like, other people are just doing it because they have to, but you seem like you're really trying. Yeah. They're actually, they had that extra category and to account for those people mm -hmm. and what their needs would be in those areas, which I think is great. And I, with the rise of pay transparency laws across the United States, it's a really good, it's a great benefit for workers. I don't know how it'll you know, change negotiations. But I think with like that large range, you still have, we still have a lot of room to negotiate there. Yeah. I mean, I still wish I'd just be honest. <laughs> right. Be absolutely honest. Like what is the, what is the budgeted salary range for this position? Mm -hmm. And don't beat around the bush and don't tell me the range that's lower than the one you actually budgeted, which sometimes they will do. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. Some nurses work at unionized facilities, so they have a pay scale that they can reference. And like I worked out of California, so most hospitals were unionized, but I worked at a non-union one. I only know from having conversations with my coworkers how my pay compared to them. Uh, it was much more comfortable being able to look at a pay scale and know. Yeah. So like the unions have had that requirement for a long time where they have, you know, it's posted and you can publicly view the pay. I did not know there was nursing unions, but I mean, that makes sense. Of course there would be, Yeah, but that's, that's awesome. That you guys, you would have, or other nurses would have a union to protect them and their jobs and their pay and their benefits to add to all the other stresses that nurses go through. Cause I, I respect nurses so damn much because of my mom, you know, working in the ER, working other jobs at the same time. And then like all the bullshit she had to go through yeah. <laughs> different nursing jobs. Oh my God. And with doctors, I just have so much respect for them. Like, are there specific companies that tend to hire remote workers with nursing or medical experience over others, like specific med tech companies or companies that 
offer telehealth? So companies that tend to hire remote nurses are um, insurance companies, managed care, uh, a lot of times for what I call the entry-level remote nursing positions, uh, I'll look towards Cigna, Elevance, Humana, Molina, Centene. Um, they all will post positions that the basic requirements do not include that remote experience or the experience within those roles. You can also look at local hospitals, clinics, even um, nationally, big hospital corporations will hire nurses in other states from where they are. And also hospitals that are in small areas where it's hard to recruit people and get them to move there, they will look to hiring people outside of their area remotely. You also have your health tech startups, which are some of my favorites. I've had several conversations with different health tech companies and the advantage that I like with them is that they're not, they don't typically come from the healthcare world. They have seen a problem and they're trying to solve it. And they often are completely shocked at the conditions that nurses are coming from and can't believe that nurses work in those conditions and that they do things like not getting breaks, not having enough time to actually give quality care. And they're really big on making sure that their team is supported. And they also tend to be the most flexible with internet options and travel. Many of the bigger companies will require you're hardwired and you can never leave your home office where the tech startups tend to be a little bit more flexible with what you do and it can make it fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of the, just like med tech, ed tech, like all the new kind of these startups that are coming onto the scene to solve these problems for professions that have normally been in on site, like in a hospital, in a healthcare facility, or like for teachers in a classroom. And they're offering these jobs because a lot of them are remote first and they want to be flexible, friendly and allow their workers to just, you know, move about, work from anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think that's awesome. My biggest struggle is that when I post a job like that, I, my DMs get flooded with post more like this. And I'm like, I wish I could like, right. If they were there, I would post them. <laughs> yeah. Like if there were right, if there were more of them, but it's like a slowly growing thing as mm -hmm. these tech startups get more established and more come on the scene and they're small. So I'll find like yeah. a couple jobs and then stock them for like six months before they post something else again. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. You were talking a little bit about entry-level remote nursing. Do you think it's possible if, you know, someone got out of nursing school, if they could go right into remote nursing or they probably need some experience bedside first? I have seen it happen, but it's definitely something that it does not happen often. Usually the nurses who are able to get out of nursing school and go directly into a remote role it's either with like a local company that they found or had already networked with, or they have other healthcare experience that translated that the company liked, and they were willing to bring them on with that type of experience with being a new grad. Most often though, you will need at least a year of some sort of clinical experience to get into a remote nursing role. Oh yeah. So like several will have jobs already probably working in a surgery center or somewhere else doing something else as they're in nursing school. I'm just going, so I used to work at the surgery center. My mom administrated when I was, I guess it was like 18 through 22 on the side of my other jobs. And I did insurance verification, helped with scheduling and like cleaning and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple there that were still in nursing school, but you know, none of them are remote. They were all surgery center nurses, but. So that's exactly like what I pull out of people when we're doing their resumes and things like that, because they may actually not have done projects and things in their clinical nursing role. But if they had a previous 
position, like an administrative role at a surgery center. And they did scheduling, insurance verifications, coordination, peer-to-peer, anything like that. I'm like, we need to put that on their res- your resume. And they're like, oh, I just wanted to put my nursing. I'm like, no, 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 that goes. Like we're putting that on there. Like that's what they want, but they think they also want this. So we need to include it all. Right. Yeah. Include as much as you can that aligns to those remote positions. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's difficult to do when you're in a mindset of like, well, this is my profession, like nursing only the other stuff. Like, how does that apply? But then, you, you know, you got to think through it, Yeah, um, which is great that you <laughs> offer that for, you know, your coaching students and stuff. So since you left bedside, I know you did in 2017. So you're like six years into this now. Mm-hmm. How has your life changed? There's both good and bad to leaving the bedside. I feel much more at peace now. I am a normal, what I would call like normal lifestyle. Like I sleep at night. I get eight hours of sleep. I get to do things I enjoy. My family says I'm no longer a zombie. But at the same time, when I first left, I had a ton of caregiver regret for leaving my like my beloved work family, which I know we talk a lot of crap on work family, but like truly in nursing, you're really close with the people you work with and feeling guilty because you don't know if they're going to be able to, like if they're just going to be short staffed or if they're going to find somebody else. And then also leaving the patients. Like that's always something on your mind as a nurse. Even if you know that you're doing something that's right for you, it's really hard to leave that. And it really took time for me to work through that and that it was okay and that those emotions were normal, but also going into this other role was normal also and completely okay for me to do. I touched on this before, but when the pandemic hit, I was still within all the hospital records. So I was seeing what patients and nurses were going through, but I was looking at it from the outside. I truly felt helpless at that point. Uh, And I had a crisis and almost signed up for a travel assignment. I almost, yeah, I almost got through it all away just because I felt so guilty that I was in a position where I wasn't in it, like in the fight. So over and over again, they're like the sneaky emotions creep up on you. I finally, after I left my um, full-time hospital position, I went to therapy and worked through a lot of those emotions. And I'm like, damn, I should have done this a lot sooner. <laughs> Like there is stuff that started a long time ago that I could have been handling way better if I had had somebody helping me through it. So yeah, there's your sign as a nurse, just go to therapy. I know many of us do, but it really is helpful. (laughs) Oh yeah. I had that same experience with therapy after we moved to Washington during the middle of the pandemic, pretty isolated. This little town we live in was like shut down and I had, I guess, too much time to my mind. And I was like, I need to get in therapy. And I had the same realization as you did. I was like, why didn't I do this like nine years ago? Mm-hmm. This would have helped me like avoid so much pain. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Yeah. My new mantra is I don't have to fix everything. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. I know we talked a little bit, like you just said, work family. And that's so true. Like where, okay, so we, we bash a lot on work families, but I think that we bash from the sense of a corporation or like a company saying like, this is your family in like a manipulative way. Yeah. Like, don't tell me they're my family. Let me decide that I love them. (laughs) Right. Like at work, you have your chosen family of coworkers that help you get through every day and like, you know, become your friends. And yeah, that's, that's cool. Like to have a family like that at work, but it's like, as long as it's not like this company, weird pressured culture of Uh like you're a family. So always be working kind of thing. Yeah. Go to the corporate picnic. No, thanks. Yeah. No, thank you. So for nurses that want to pivot to remote work, 
in a medical profession, where would you tell them to start? I mean, besides your website, of course. <laughs> Completely honestly, I would say start with Nurse Fern because we have a free getting started guide. We also have a free remote nursing quiz where you can like, it's fun. It's like a personality quiz and it gives you options for what might want to start looking into. But we also have a really cool blog and career guides on our website. So the major remote nursing roles are outlined with feedback from real nurses who are in those positions remotely. I think that's a really cool resource. And then we also have our job board. Outside of us, you mentioned it earlier. I will shamelessly plug her because I love her business too, but remote medical jobs. Sadie has an amazing um, job board as well. And I think it's something where definitely... You go to multiple things and you find which one you relate to most and then stick with that resource and try not to get overburdened by all the information out there on the internet because it is really easy to start this hunt and then get overwhelmed really fast, especially as nurses. We are used to applying for a job and getting it. It doesn't matter how we interview, what our resume looks like. Aside from like some of the more prestigious areas, but like it's, we're used to getting jobs and it's totally different when you're applying for remote nursing jobs. And sometimes I joke that my inbox is magical because people will email me. I've been applying for six months to a year. I've heard absolutely nothing. And then like two weeks later, like I, like, I am like, oh my God, how am I going to respond to this person? Like, I know it's probably going to work out for them eventually. And then like two weeks later, they email me and they're like, Hey, I got the perfect job. <laughs> I'm like, <"Ooh." laughs> So truly there is so, there are so many resources out there. If you just Google remote nursing jobs, you're going to see multiple pop up and try us on for size and see which one of us you want to hang with most in your hunt. Just like you said, like nurses are very used to getting the job that they apply for when it's in person, like at a healthcare facility, because mm -hmm. I think they're in such high demand, you know, they're always hiring for nurses yeah. and the remote job world, nursing or not. Yeah. It's totally different application process. And there's a lot of like internal issues you'll feel through <laughs> the application process, through the interview process, all that stuff, because it's so much longer for remote nursing, I think it might be a little bit shorter than the average of like remote jobs out there just because it has like such a smaller subset of the people that would be applying that would be exactly qualified for them versus like where I came from, which was like the tech and IT world. There's like a huge pool of competition when you're applying for jobs. And a lot of them are from all over the world because a lot of those positions are remote global. Mm. So it's like a whole different ballgame <laughs> of competition. And it's like when people are applying for those jobs, it can become quickly discouraging. You start to feel pretty crappy about yourself that like nobody wants you or like, you know, like, what am I doing wrong when you could be doing all the things right. And it's just because someone else was maybe more qualified or, you know, quote unquote qualified. Maybe they knew someone at the co company. Maybe it was internal. Um, maybe they just didn't even see your resume because some of those jobs I've seen that, well, like on LinkedIn, when it says like a certain amount of people applied, that's not really how many people yeah. applied, of course, <laughs> but we know some of those jobs, like, especially at the bigger companies that are like Netflix or maybe not say Netflix because there's been so many layoffs, but <laughs> like Microsoft, you know, there's going to be a ton of people applying to those jobs. But for remote nursing, I think that nurses have a better shot of getting those jobs than like those other sectors. That is something that I honestly know nothing about. Like I'm in my own little niche and I don't yeah. know outside of it. But yeah, I hear anything from like people getting an interview request or a follow-up day of 
to like six months later, somebody might get contacted after they applied for something. And these nurses are applying for hundreds of these remote jobs. Yeah. It's an, it's, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Still the job market is like a little wonky where it's like, you'll get contacted maybe six months after I got contacted for a job that I applied to last year. <laughs> I was like, wait, so it's funny too. Cause a lot of these jobs are saying like, Oh, you know, we want to hire immediately, get started immediately. <laughs> it's like, well, how one how person there does. <laughs> yeah. One person there does, but you guys don't have the organization in place to make that happen yet. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. It is beautiful that those jobs often weed themselves out though, because they aren't ready. And then somebody's like, well, I already have, I found something really good. So no, thanks. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Are there certain remote position titles for nurses that they should be searching for that they maybe don't know about currently? So like if somebody is normally in, in, you know, bedside nursing, if they are applying to remote roles, how would those roles be named a little differently? Sure. Um, not all the positions are going to have nurse in the title. So definitely try different search terms on for size. You might see things like clinical reviewer, data abstractor, utilization review and management, clinical documentation, integrity. You'll see those types of wording and with the only place nurses mentioned in the requirements. Okay. So that like the ner- the name or the word nurse <laughs> would be mentioned in the requirements. Mm-hmm. So they could still like maybe be picked up with a keyword of nurse. But like you said, clinical documentation integrity sounds like a great one. Are there maybe, I mean, I've heard that sometimes like nurses do a little bit work with data. Are there any like data analysis sort of nursing remote roles? Yeah. So there's different analyst positions. And then one of the really popular areas is data abstraction. That often is one of those positions where you're not on the phone and it's project-based. So many companies will let you do things on your own time, which is very attractive to us. We're hard stuck on that three 12 hour shift. So anything we can find that is flexible is our jam. And often the data abstraction fits that bill. Um, you'll Mm -hmm. see that many of them do want certifications, but if you have taken on projects at work where you were doing anything that involved looking through charts and pulling data. And even better, if you were putting it into an Excel sheet or something like that, you can put that on your resume and it will help you stand out from other nurses that may have done that, but didn't put it on their resume. Oh, right. Cause it's something they might've forgotten about or seen it as a skill that they should even mm-hmm. put on their resume. Cause I think a lot of the times when people are doing resumes, they get hung up on like, what are all the hard skills? Like the best skills I can show versus they miss the skills that are ones that would be in demand for them just because they don't see them as skills, but they are skills. Mm-hmm. They're like, I just did that on the side when ma- the manager asked me to. And I'm like, no, 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 that's really important. If This is the type of work you want to get into. So we are going to showcase this. So as a nurse who started her platform, you know, Nurse Fern, <laughs> as a side hustle. So you did this on the side of, you know, doing a remote role, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have any side hustle tips for other nurses? I guess bedside would have a lot less time, though. Um, versus remote nurses. So I guess we could talk about each and good options for those. (laughs) So different time in different ways, like bedside nursing, working three twelves, you have a lot of time, but you're usually sleeping or recovering when you're not Mm -hmm. on shift there. Um, With building the nurse fern as a side business, when I was working full-time, I was always very careful to make sure that I was doing it before I clocked in for work or while I was clocked out on a lunch break or after work. I made sure that there was never any crossover that could be flagged by my company for whatever reason. And that 
is a big thing, especially with social media and healthcare companies, making sure that you have a very strong separation between work and doing that. So that's my little soapbox about social media and work safety. (laughs) But other than that, like my tip is to start your platform and be consistent, listen to your audience and have fun with it. But the most important thing is consistency. I've seen so many really cool accounts that I have followed just stop posting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where did you go? And it's because they just stopped. Oh yeah. They could, they could get burnt out from social media. I mean, I, I get burnt out from social media, even with the help from my virtual assistant, I'm still just Instagram burns me out like no other, (laughs) but I need to, you know, stay off of it a little more. TikTok gets me. I think I've probably only posted six videos in the last six months. And I started Mm -hmm. posting when I first started it, I posted a video every single day. Yeah. I remember you were super active on it. (laughs) So you talked a little bit about the legal part of side hustling on work time, which I'm I also have a lot of interest in that too. A little soapbox of mine (laughs) is that, you know, for any side hustle somebody is doing, make sure that you stay away from doing it on company time and definitely never, ever, ever do it on a company device because either or a lawyer told me once is for definitely for the company device, they can argue that they then own it. Mm -hmm. And then some, they can look at the time and then also argue that it's on company time. Even if it's on your device, they could also take some ownership of it. If a company was to go after you for that, which I haven't heard of that happening to anybody, but yeah, I've definitely, you know, it's, I haven't heard the intellectual property situation, but definitely the on company time and even being careful with nurses that use scheduling apps. It's no secret that employers are behind the times technology wise. So they don't always understand that you pre-planned and scheduled that you weren't like in the break room posting your stuff. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. They probably don't know that a lot of scheduling tools exist. Yeah. So like most of the stuff, so everything we post is scheduled besides Instagram stories, I think. Mm-hmm. So I've, I manually post the Instagram stories, but yeah, everything else is scheduled. So if any employers are listening, don't be mad at your nurses. They're not, they're not posting during the time <laughs> <laughs> they scheduled that. So you were able to build this successful platform quite quickly. I mean, of course there was a huge demand during the pandemic. I didn't, I don't know exactly when you started. I didn't ask you that. So I might just be assuming quickly, like the rest of the world, when you get on social media and you think somebody hit overnight success. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I am really bad at keeping track of things like that. That would be really cool to be able to share later. (laughs) Kind of like my brag board. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I pin my pivot happening around July of 2020, I think. That's a total guess, but I had been doing like freelancing and other stuff since 2018. So definitely was not an overnight situation. I was trialing things and seeing what worked and then continued to listen to my audience and moved in that direction. I have a question about freelance writing. Do you yeah. like this? Do you like running the platform nurse for and better than freelance writing? I don't know if you still do any freelance writing, but I absolutely do. I do no freelance writing. I haven't done it in a very long time. I very much enjoy resume writing, which is much different from like the blog and content writing. Oh yeah. I love resume writing too, (laughs) just because it, it can get really fun and working with people to kind of pull out those special attributes about them. The things that, you know, a lot of people with their job search and especially remote job search getting so discouraged quickly, our self-esteems drop a lot. It's hard to then think of like, well, what are my good skills? What am I even like? why would this company see any value in me? So it's really, it's really rewarding to work with people on that level. I think for resume writing, for freelance writing, it can get super burnt out quickly. I've gotten burnt out from freelance writing on the side of, you know, running my platform. 
Yeah. I think one of my last projects before I stopped freelance writing, there were actually two. One was uh, making articles out of podcasts for hopefully he doesn't listen to this. There's probably no way, um, but <laughs> a, a, um, investment advisor for eye doctors. Oh. I was turning his podcast into articles for his site. And then the other one was I did a comparison of like the car rental things like, um, mm. Oh, I can't remember the name of them, but I was like, I am not into this at all. <laughs> I was like, Turo. Turo yeah, Turo and something yeah. else. And I'm like, I don't like any of these. I wouldn't rent my car. Like, why am I writing this article? Yeah, I've I've talked about Turo before on my blog for people that want to rent out their car. A few people have had good experiences. I mean, a lot of people have heard of good experiences, but they don't take into account like the maintenance that's going to be on your car and stuff from these other people driving it. And I've had other people that have like they didn't get it from my blog but they'll tell me like oh I've tried this and I had somebody crash you know crash my car but the app apparently helped them with getting that fixed but it's still you know it's a pain in the ass yeah I think at the end of that article I was like can we just make this a ghost written article no extra fee like I just don't want my name on this <laughs> right oh my god I haven't talked about car rental like those in a while and I was wondering if they are still even popular I don't know. I see it every once in a while in like Facebook forums. Yeah. I would think that people maybe that have like disposable luxury cars that they're not using that don't, you know, maybe they would rent them out and make money from it. I, I know that once like making fleets of their own. Oh, yeah. Like it's not that. even their personal cars. So yeah, they'll they probably just buy those cars or lease them or whatever, you know, buy a leased car and maybe make that fleet out of it to actually make good money. Because I know people that like, I have a 2016 RAV4. I don't think that'll get like the best pay for renting that out because it's not like a 2020 Mercedes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you built up this successful platform so quickly and you were freelance writing before. So you had like a little bit of this peek into content creation that, you know, it was a really good pivot for you to make from like freelance writing to this platform that is more of a sustainable business. For those listening that maybe want to dabble in cre content creation at all, do you have any tips for them? I mean, I know you said start, you know, be consistent, of course, mm -hmm. which I have some problem with consistency myself, <laughs> but are there any tips? I think one of the big things I was thinking about this a lot, uh, and it sounds kind of corny, but really believe in yourself and what you're doing. I definitely have a huge amount of imposter syndrome, and I am surprised every time somebody emails me about how much I help them. Um, and I'm really bad about self-promotion in that fact, but definitely believe in what you're doing and stick with it. I have partnered with so many different creators and companies that have reached out to me with, because of like a FOMO that like they could really help me. And then the end, more times than not, my company and my platform, when I bring helps them. And I don't know why it still surprises me that it happens that way, but every time it happens, I'm like, you're doing something really cool. Like you really need to own that. And just like go all in and just have more confidence about it. Like it takes a huge amount of self-confidence to be able to do this on your own and have that and find a group that understands what you are going through, like whether it is an entrepreneurial group or something, because this is totally different than anything that your coworkers and family have dealt with, especially if you're not from a family that's entrepreneurial, like find your people to help support you and help lift you up when you're having your moments of self-doubt. I have problems with self-confidence and, you know, keeping up with that. It's easy to get discouraged. 
running your own business, especially like quitting your job to do so. Mm -hmm. So I quit my job last year to do this full time. And now I Me finally too. got to, oh think, yeah, that's I think right. We, talked about that. we did. You used to quit yours like right around the same time. Um, yeah. Like since then you don't have, there's this huge thing that I always kind of get hung up on. It's like before when I was working a full-time job, that company I'm working for, they're the ones who are responsible for bringing in the revenue. I don't have to think about that. I just collect my paycheck, make sure I do a good job, you know, could check all the boxes for the shit I'm supposed to do every day. But now it's like, I am responsible for the revenue. I'm responsible for paying the contractors that help me. And I want to be able to pay myself, which some months I'm not able to, because I want to keep that money in the bank for other stuff that's going on. Um, and I just get like, I don't want it to go under a certain amount to yeah. <laughs> make account. <laughs> My husband tells so, me that I like making money. I hate spending it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if only you for understood. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with mine, like you're doing mostly your platform nurse burn, right? Are you doing anything else on the side? I, so I consult and most people know this, but I am a spokes nurse and spokesperson for incredible health, but that's the only other thing that I have going on besides nurse burn. Yeah. So like where I've been with my platform, you know, it's mostly a blog there. I do have digital products through it, but then I've really kind of scaled my freelance writing business. Well, it's a part I like to dabble and it kind of goes hand in hand with the brand identity too. Um, but I've finally been able to build that up more to be like better paying gigs. Cause if mm -hmm. anyone knows when you're starting, if you're starting out freelance writing, that does not pay very well. And it takes so well, for me, it took a little bit to get better, higher paying gigs because of that imposter syndrome and being yeah. scared for, to ask for more just because it's like, well, I haven't written for these giant, you know, websites or like, if I've only written like blog things, now I've gotten like back into technical writing more, which is what I used to do part for part of my job. So it's really cool to get clients now, just not only in finance, but for technical writing, because that's something I really enjoy just because I like kind of like the mundane, repetitive kind of documentation <laughs> of stuff rather than like hard thinking, because a lot of writing is thinking. And when you're yeah. writing for financial websites where there's a lot of analysis included, it's like, oh, that's that shit really takes the energy out of me sometimes. Oh, yeah. I so. I didn't have trouble asking for more, <laughs> which is <laughs> good for like, you. <laughs> I had no problem asking for more money as freelancing. But then when people said yes, I was like, well, shit, I actually have to write this now. And I am a slow writer. I, even when I do like resume reviews, I have a very methodical process. But if you add up the time, like I spend hours on things because like just the way I process, like I have to let it, I have to see it, let it sink in, analyze it. And then actually getting that into words, just it's like a struggle for me. Oh yeah. It's a struggle for me too. Um, some articles where it's like, I'm just not feeling it in the beginning. I have to write like a paragraph a day mm -hmm. and then I'll go back and edit it. I feel like the majority of my time though is spent on editing. Now I've gotten to a point where I can work, I can write really well, just like dump it out. But then when I go through the edit, like I spend too much time because then I'm like, I find too many options of how <laughs> I can say different things. And when there's too many options, I get paralyzed. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That is a really good, like, I didn't plug this at all, but nurse freelance writing is a huge oh. opportunity that I often, um, like we have a couple articles on it on the site, but like mm -hmm. it, there are opportunities there and it is really cool. Anything from like um, doing patient education materials to doing more technical writing to doing blog posts for sites like mine, like it is out there. And um, there are a lot of freelance nurse writers on LinkedIn that it's a great little community to get involved with. And they are so supportive over there. Oh, that's really cool. I've heard about freelance writing for nurses. 
And I just thought, okay, so now LinkedIn is a great one for that because mm-hmm. you could just search like freelance writing nurse and probably find either people, maybe posts hiring for them, maybe jobs hiring for them. Sometimes for LinkedIn, freelance writing jobs are like a hit and miss of what you can find on there. Um, but I've been able, I found a technical writing client on LinkedIn is because they posted something about what they were hiring for. And I liked it, but it was like one that, you know, it was a long time ago. And then a couple months later, they reached out to me for services. And I was like, okay, this is great. <laughs> I seems that's how I found all of my freelance writers. I don't post a job. I just kind of hang out and interact. Uh, one of them slid into my DMs and I really liked the content that she had written and others I have reached out to because of what they have shared. Right. Just being active on LinkedIn, but in the right communities with the people that you kind of click with the most because there's a cringy side of LinkedIn that you just don't want to see, even though the the newsfeed will push it on us. <laughs> so I'm going to like fingers crossed, I'm going to admit this, but I have never been a victim on social media or LinkedIn of the cringy, like bad DM sliding side of things. Oh, the bad DM <laughs> slide. Yeah. yeah. So those, yeah, like bad DMs and stuff. I... So I block a lot of stuff on my link on like my, all my social media now for people who can message me, mostly just people that can follow me, mm-hmm. that follow me, that can message me now just because of all the weird spammy stuff I was getting. And then I finally, bl- I blocked like comments that would, I guess they come off as like violent or something to, to Instagram or people that don't follow me. I take the, like those comments, they can't comment on my stuff. Oh, okay. Just because, because like the amount of spam on Instagram got really bad. Yeah. So I think it's also for financial accounts too, because they kind of target those as ones that they can clone accounts for and then reach out to their followers thinking like, you know, those people are having financial problems and they're preying on them, mm-hmm. which sucks. Um, but the cringy side of LinkedIn I was talking about is, so I guess since I'm in the IT tech world, and a lot of my LinkedIn is that I see the cringy LinkedIn posts of people where it's all just like the majority of their identity is tied to their job. And it's like this giant post of them talking about maybe that's something like really out of touch about how they worked the last 12 hours and, you know, do this, you know, climb some mountain, whatever. It's like super like corporate propaganda. I don't yeah. know. Okay. We're talking about two different types of cringe. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about two different things, <laughs> but I hate those posts too. I'm like, scroll yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, I've tried to put like, hide, hide, don't show me posts like this. And they just keep trying. So I asked this question at the end of every interview because I think it's fun and interesting. And I'm sure in the nursing world, you probably have some good stories. What's what's like the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you at work or, you know, in your business now? So I picked, there's a lot of weird things that like I can't really share. And like with nurses, a lot of times, like this question, we're like, oh, like our version is totally different from what you are going to think is yeah. cool and weird. Um but I picked two things, one from business and one from work. I randomly remembered that when I was in the ER, I had a patient that tried to tip me hundreds of dollars at the end when I was discharging them. And it was just really funny. Cause you're like, I mean, yeah, I want a couple hundred bucks as a tip for this. Like I'm yeah. getting my butt kicked at work right now, but like, we can't accept that. And trying to explain that to a patient and family, like why healthcare workers can't accept tips is sometimes a very like dystopian situation (laughs) (laughs) and being like, no, please don't give it to me, but please donate to the hospital and make sure they know my name. And you're like, I know they're never going to do that. But yeah, I thought that fit with the side hustle thing. Like when healthcare workers get funny tips. So to do with business, like we were talking about imposter syndrome and when things happen, like when you either get like a charge back or something like it's an ego hit, you're like, oh my God, what did I do? Like somebody didn't like me, which naturally you're like, well, I don't like plenty of things. So 
but it's that whole processing it. But the other day I got an email reply that said, stop being so pushy. (laughs) And I initially was like totally clammed up and went into like self-preservation mode. And then when I looked back at the email that they were replying to, I was like, oh yeah, I get it. Like, I don't even like this, but I haven't done anything about it yet. (laughs) Like, I don't really like, yeah, I'm not super feeling my funnel either. So totally warranted, but definitely had that initial like, Oh, at the beginning. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. I've, I need to do some stuff with my own funnels that I've kind of just like, you know, you push those things aside just because it's, it's also a lot of work too, to keep up with a funnel and maintain it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I've had those experiences too. Like during the pandemic, I had, um, a new course go on sale and like a couple weeks later, I had two chargebacks and I was like, oh my God, I'm like freaking out because it was like the first chargebacks that I've ever had in my business. But it was also around the time that, you know, people were really struggling financially and it was happening to other business owners too, that they were getting a couple of chargebacks. And it's like, you know, I can't do anything about that. That's them going to the bank, mm-hmm. getting their charge back. And it's like, all right, you know, this has nothing to do with me. Probably they never even reached out to me about it. And I've, I've never had anyone come to me though and like asked me for a refund. So, you know, thank, thank the Lord on that one. <laughs> the Lord is in the universe. I'm not <laughs> religiously pushing on anything of people. So I'm not really religious, but um, yeah. And business ownership chargebacks can, you know, like, hit in the gut or these emails, like from my email list, sometimes I'll get emails where it's like, stop emailing me. I'm like, you can unsubscribe at the end of the email. <laughs> well, I usually <laughs> scroll down to my email yeah. that they've replied to and I hit unsubscribe for them. Right. For them. <laughs> I'm like, let me just, I'm not going to reply, but I'm just going to do you a favor right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's totally like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Or some of, you know, I'll get some hateful emails about, you know, LGBTQ related stuff because of the current thing around that. I'm like, well, then you don't need to be following me. I'll, I'll immediately unsubscribe, unsubscribe them for that. Cause it's like, then you shouldn't be here if you yeah. are going to send hate to my email. That's completely like unwarranted. But it um, is those things. It's almost when things become more personal than like you take it really like, you're like, you didn't yeah. have to do it that way. You could have just unsubscribed or asked me for a refund. Right. Yeah. Like as content creators, you don't have to like everything about us. And if there is one thing you don't like about it, keep that to yourself. Like you've, we're kind of, you know, knowledge workers, service providers online, and there's a service we provide, but you don't have to like every part of us, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, we're, we don't have to be perfect for you. And that is something that I have struggled with a lot. And initially why I stayed away from doing a nurse focused thing. I had a ton of once again, imposter syndrome, but I had a huge fear of really being myself and what this community and what my identity was tied to, how they would react to me. So I initially didn't focus anything towards nurses and it took a lot for me to be willing to pivot into this nurse fern area because I was really scared. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's because it's, it's hard to share like the personal things I think that are just like, you know, nursing is pivoting nurse to nurses. Like that's kind of what made your brand now, but I'm Mm -hmm. sure that was scary at first. Like I didn't ever really target people in IT or tech just because it's like, I don't know. I didn't feel like anybody would go for that. (laughs) Now I I get questions all the time about it. And it's like, I need to talk about it more. If it was my career, it still kind of is like, I, I'm still doing those things. And then still there's certain personal parts of my life I'm scared to share. But then I realized I'm like, they're not entitled. I think to all these personal things in my life. Mm Mm-hmm. Those are, those are things I should have for myself. 
Yeah. I have gotten very comfortable with sharing very little about Mm -hmm. my personal life. And I've gotten, I've gotten comfortable doing that too. Like getting more comfortable, not sharing all the time too. like Mm -hmm. being on social media all the time, being there for people. Cause it's like, that's, that's not generating money for me. That's just kind of taking away from my energy, like an energy suck. Well, like when we talk about like chargebacks or PayPal disputes, like those emails are actually what cured me from checking my email in bed. Yeah, there you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> the few times that it happened, it was either like at 11 o'clock at night when I was going to sleep or first thing in the morning. And I was like, this is why they say don't check your email when you're not <laughs> supposed to be working. Like, yeah, no, don't do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. All right, Emma, thank you so much for today. This is so fun. Tell the besties where to find you, work with you, all that good stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, the best place to find me is nursefern.com and you can find all of the social links and everything from there. All right. Thank you so much, Emma. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Remote Work Bestie. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you want to tell me about the weirdest things that's ever happened to you at work or have any questions you'd like me to answer on the podcast, email remoteworkbestie at gmail.com. See you next week.